Hey everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Chasing 140.6. I am your host, Madeline Wires, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with um, triathlon coach extraordinaire, um, crazy awesome athlete guy, and a super fun, positive person to be around, Daniel Smith. Um, I met Daniel because he actually went to school with my parents, and um, I had been interested in doing triathlon, but I never really got into it or like pursued it um, for a while. I just kind of was thinking about it, and I had several people point me in his direction um, because they knew that he was doing uh, triathlon stuff in my area. So I was like, what the heck? Let's get together, let's talk, and it ended up working out. So he's a really cool guy, and I'm excited for you guys to hear the interview. He's got a really cool story. Um, and just, uh, we talked about some good stuff. We covered some good stuff, a lot of stuff about um, beginning triathlon and things like that. So uh, really great episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I wanted to say also when we started the interview, um, we actually, there were some technical issues because it wasn't recording. So if you hear me say that in the beginning, that was my fault, a uh, little amateur hour over here. Um, I thought we were recording and we had about five minutes of content that just wasn't being recorded for some reason so I had to go back and uh, we had to fix that but um, yeah so we are just gonna get right to it I guess um, one other thing I wanted to say as well as you might be wondering why I am promoting the second episode now when there's a first episode and I wanted to put out some content the first episode was kind of a practice round because I wasn't really sure how it was gonna go to get it on iTunes and things like that um, so I'm putting these both out at the same time just because um, I kind of want there to be some real content to listen to and um, get something out of. So um, without further ado, let's get right to the interview. So welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you as my very first guest and I'm excited to get a glimpse on a coach's perspective all things triathlon. We had a little bit of a technical issue there but we are back up and at it. So Dan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> all right so real quick um, just we were wondering why well, we I'm acting like there's more than one of us here. I was wondering if you could give us your story and just an, a quick quick overview of how you got into the sport and kind of what's kept you going. Um, I know there's another podcast out there that I will link in the show notes kind of with your uh, in-depth background. It's a really interesting story. So if anyone, anyone listening would have more interest in checking that out, um, that will be in the description. But Dan, just briefly from your uh, perspective, um, give us a little overview of your life and beginnings in the sport. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't directly get into triathlon as a as a young person. I was more into single sport um, competitions like gymnastics and, and you know track and field and whatnot. And so um, over years of competing and trying to compete and not really being successful, I always have kept my mind open to pushing myself into challenges that I was uncomfortable with. And you know, I, I truly believe you have to try different things in life to find out what you're good at. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I. My parents always wanted me to play football and basketball, and so at that point, I decided I would never touch a ball. And, um, <laughs> right. So I went the opposite direction. I'm just the, the personality type I have is, you know, you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do the opposite, yep. and I'm going to do it better. And right. So just sort of my personality, and that either helps or hinders. And so I ran for a number of years, and I did, you know, like I said, track and field in high school, and then when I was in the military, I got into running. Um, although I had some bad habits like, you know, drinking too much and smoking way too much. And so it, it sort of hampered my success. But in the 80s and 90s, we all thought it was too cool for school to do those things. And it didn't seem to affect us while we were young. So, right. you know, 18 years or 17 years of smoking a couple packs a day sure adds up over time. But in the meantime, you know, I had, I had to learn those lessons. But so my coaching or my, my, tra my traverse into triathlon was running injuries led me to pool running where I met a coach who said, Oh, you should try swimming. And I thought, okay, teach me what I need to know. And a couple lessons, real quick lessons. And then I thought, okay, one of my friends had challenged me to a triathlon. And I thought, well, I can run. I'm sure I can ride a bike. And <laughs> then, so I thought, Oh, I, I'm a swimmer now. So remember, right. I, I'm a swimmer. Right. So <laughs> after three days in the pool, I signed up for a triathlon and, I nearly died, and um, I was about 19 or 20. I was just getting out of the military, 
And I thought, okay, if I could be good at this, and it's fun, and there's not a whole lot of people doing it, which is better than most 10Ks I was at where there was 300 people in the race. Right. So I thought my chances of success were, you know, greatly increased with the percentage of participants mm-hmm. being low mm-hmm. at the time. Especially at that age, too. It seems like, for me, oh, I've yeah. found, looking at it, it's like, in my age group, it's like, hey, I could, I could go out there and kick some butt, but if I was 35 right now, look out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. it's harder as you get older, which is odd in the sport, but it makes more sense. Um, for one reason, is that it takes a lot more time to train for three sports than right. it does one. Right. So you have kids that are young, and you have starting a family, and you're just buying a house, or you're in a full-time job. It's hard to dedicate the amount of time it takes to be good at the sport. So the higher the age groups go, the less most of your kids are out of school or they're at least driving or they're in college. Now you have some free time and then you can dedicate it more to training. Right. So it's kind of funny to me now being in the almost the 50 to 55 age group. It's more competitive now than when I was in the 20 to 24 age group. So yeah. Uh, There's still the, I mean, the body being young is still faster. It's just at that point in our lives, most kids are, you know, putting on the freshman 15 and drinking beer every day and not training for triathlon. Right. And, you know, one thing, too, that I kind of, I don't know if this, I think probably what you just said makes more sense with it, but I almost think about, too, I know with running, I've found that, um, you know, just from the years, I think it's probably at least two or three years now of like solid, consistent running that I've done that, you know, I might have been able to go out when I first started and just, you know, gut out a 5k in an okay time. But like now I can go out and run, you know, similar to that time, just because and, you know, and feel a lot better about it just because of all the time and, you know, aerobic capacity i guess that our bodies build just from all that time that you put into it so i don't know that's just absolutely well there are studies that show that the the more you do something the higher your oxygen uptake goes and the less lactate threshold or the higher your lactate threshold goes so that the longer you're in a sport the easier it gets meaning that your body makes the adjustments it's sort of like the peaks and valleys of training and so yeah and especially for aerobic workouts like running or swimming cycling um, your body just gets smarter and smarter, more efficient every time you push yourself a little harder. Right. So this is kind of a random question, but from your opinion and what you've seen, um, what do you think like the prime age is? If let's say you start training when you're 15, just through high school and stuff with running, and like, what do you think that peak age is? If you're consistently training smart, like, what do you think um, is that age before it starts to decline, based because of your age? I, it just really depends on your background in sport, your body's health issues, meaning do you have, you know, are you bringing along with you three knee knee injuries that have had surgery? Are you Have you had a back, you know, injury um, that you've had to have surgery on? Right. All those things come into play. So and it's an individual thing. But, you know, I honestly, I have clients and friends of mine who are in their high, you know, upper 50s that are way faster than they are now than they were in their 30s. Right. Um, and, and it's just how do you train? How do you perform um, with and train through injury or not train through injury? You know, that all those things come into play. If you try to train through an injury, you're more susceptible to having to give up the sport because you're going to completely injure yourself where your knees no longer work right so yeah you, being smart which is what you said is key um i think you could continue getting faster and faster all the way up to your 60s i mean honestly if you look okay. at the results of some of the races um the world if you if anyone's interested the usa triathlon age group national championship was just this weekend and the age groups even like the 50 to 55 age groups winning time is just as fast as the 30 to 34 age groups. Right. So there, I don't, I think that's a, I don't really think there's a limit and I wouldn't want to put a limit on age. Mm-hmm. I think um, it has to do more with how smart you train, how well you take care of your body. Um, and when I say how smart you train, less is more sometimes. And I think triathletes forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see so many, athletes who think that triathlon is only triathlon if you're doing ultra distance like Ironman right and that takes so much out of your body on your joints and out of your you know brain cells even I mean I, I couldn't imagine sitting on a bike for six hours just to say I did something but yeah. <laughs> each, to each his own you know I mean I right. rode 130 miles in one day and I thought I will never sit on that bike seat again <laughs> right but 
to each his own. But you know what I'm saying is, you know, once your body has learned endurance, you don't need to keep training it to go far. You just have to once in a while remind it, okay, you've got this background of distance in you. You can trust it. Now you you have to work on the, the, the perfection of technique and power. And that's what most triathletes, I think, forget to do is they're like, okay, I got to get my long ride. I got to get my long run. Well, you don't need too many of those. What you need to do is keep building the strength and the output of power to each movement of each sport, and then you will get faster and your endurance is already there. Right. Okay. Good stuff. That's something I learned from working with, you know, 20-some Olympians that were all endurance athletes. Of course, they were the Olympic distance level, but, you know, even working with people like Siri Lindley, who's the one of the coaches of multiple world champions in Ironman distance, has said, Way too many people spend way too much time just doing distance and not enough speed. Right. I had um, one of my coaches in high school for track. He was uh, he ended up retiring when I was a sophomore. But anyway, um, one of his biggest thing was biggest uh, things was he talked about how um, you know way too many people do long slow runs. And if you think about it, the more you do something, the better at it you're going to get. So you're going to get better at just going. slow Slow, exactly so that was his biggest thing and when he first said that I was kind of like I mean I get it but at the same time you think you kind of fight it because you're like well if you're gonna you know run a half marathon you have to run over that distance to make sure you can do it right but in reality it's like if you can run you know nine eight or nine miles fast odds are you can go out there and do a half marathon a little bit maybe just a little bit slower than that fast but you're gonna complete it and it's still gonna be a good time you know what I mean so it's just Absolutely. That's so. my training philosophy in all three sports, especially in swimming, because swimming being the shortest event, you know, once you reach the mile, mile and a quarter mark, it's basically muscle memory after that. Right. And, and what I have found, and, and this may sound contraindicative of like how you train, but I never swim more than a 400 at one time ever. Right. And I'm one of the fastest swimmers out there. And I, I really think that if you focus on technique Building power to the turnover, which is the rate of the movement, you can just keep sustaining it as long as you fuel it. And I think too many people don't have the confidence and the faith in that. So Right. Um, yeah, it's trusting, to, trusting the training. Right. And something to consider looking at maybe if you're not doing speed work more often to just, you know, for two months, put it in there and see what the outcome is. Right. Well, I almost too, it's kind of funny. I learned from my mistakes based on like my last marathon that I did. I think I talked to you briefly about this, but it was kind of one of those plans where I was like, well, I know I'm going to do it. I just need a a easy, you know, some kind of plan that's just going to tell me what to do and I can find on the internet. It was one of those like, you know, marathon training plans, 12 weeks or whatever. And it basically was looking at it now. It's like, I mean, it's crazy how much I wish I could just go back and be like, why are you doing this? Cause it was like all just like, it was like, okay, eight miles Monday, you know, 12 miles Wednesday and a long run on Saturday. You know what I mean? And it was like, but they were all like the same pace. You know what I mean? Like nothing changed. So it's, yeah. it's, so, yeah. Yeah. It, that's it, cookie cutter. Um, coaching like that is, is good for a brand new beginner just to kind of get you off the couch and motivated to go do something that maybe you're not even sure if you like doing. Right. And once you get to the point where like you're committed to it, I think it's really important to get a coach or listen to someone who's got the experience and, and the know-how of why you do what you do and when to do it. Right. Otherwise, you, you will run yourself into the ground or you know end up with an injury. I can't tell you how many swimmers I've met who just swim distance, 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 and when they come to one of my swim clinics, they're like, my arms, my shoulders hurt, I have a torn minute or torn rotator cuff. I'm like, well, that's because you're overdoing bad technique, and if you're right. going to do that, it's just like if you're in first gear in your car and you're right racing down the highway at 75, your transmission's going to go. Right, and I think... Yeah. I think one thing for me too is while I was doing that plan, I kind of knew like, you know, it would probably be good to be doing some kind of speed workout. But then I was like, well, at the same time, it's though, it's like, I didn't even know, like if I did do a speed workout, I didn't even know what I, what that would look like for that distance. You know what I mean? Like I knew, okay, if I'm doing a 5k, you can do 400 repeats or whatever, but like, it's a whole nother ball game when you're doing 26.2 miles. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of like, I trusted that program. And I mean, in the end it was okay. Cause I did get across the finish line, but it's like looking back, it's like, you know, it's, yeah, I, I like the rule of um, five to 10%. And, and this is a very common rule in coaching is you never increase more than 
every week of training, distance or power. Okay. So say, for instance, your, your long run last week was 10 miles, and you never go more than one mile further the next week, or you're going over the rule of 10%. Right. And so the 10-5 is, so 5% of the total race distance you're going to race is the, the distance that you should be doing your speed repeats at. And that's going for swim, bike, run. Like, for instance, when I go for swimming for the mile, I'll go out and I'll do 12 200s or 10 200s in the swim repeats as fast, faster than my race pace I plan to go as I can with a limited amount of reps. Okay. So you're just basically the same thing that goes with swimming and biking. You do the same thing on the bike. It's do the same thing on the run. But the point is that if you can sustain a higher rate and power and lactate threshold faster, your body is going to make the adjustment when you start to go longer. And, of course, you're not going to hold that pace, but you will be a faster pace than you would have otherwise. Right. It's actually funny, too, looking back on, like, thinking about old speed workouts that I've done and how, you know, that – let's say it was 400 repeats, that 400 repeat that I did, that pace just felt like almost impossible. And looking back, it's like now I'm doing almost 20 seconds faster. And it's like not nearly as terrible as when I first did. So it does. I mean, the improvements are very, you know, it's real, it just takes time. And yeah, so it definitely Well, that's, that's huge in running and cycling. But it's even bigger of a, a commitment to the swim end of it because in swimming it's the shortest part of the race but you can lose the most amount of time and confidence in the swim going forward in the race so what happens in swimming is people think and we cover this a lot in any of the clinics that we do for swimming is that the faster you move your arms and the faster you kick the faster you're going to go well that that's how it kind of is in running and biking but because you're in a fluid which moves the faster you move your arms in the wrong way the slower you are, the higher your heart rate, and the more energy you've just burned up. Right. So it's it's in, in swimming especially, it's way more important to make sure that you have the proper technique and know what you're supposed to be doing with your arms and your kick and your body position and your head position and breathing before you add it to you know your distance training because you're otherwise you're just patterning a really bad muscle memory that's going to be even harder to change to make it better if you don't do it from the get go. Right. Okay. So, All right. It took me a long time to figure out, and it wasn't until Sheila Taramina, who was my coach, and the, the woman, the four-time Olympian that I did the four-book series with, coached me, and the first thing she did was she said, okay, swim a 50, let me look at your technique. That was when we first met, and she's like, okay, stop. Like, we got to start all over again. Oh, like, gosh. Wait, I've been swimming for 15 years like this. She's like, yeah, and that's why you're slow. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So, yeah, she took me back down to doing 25s with the technique that she taught me, which if you want to you know, get in on this, you can hire me to be your coach or come to a clinic. But right. she wouldn't let me go any further than a 25 until I could do that 25 in under 15 seconds. Wow. And I was, once I got to that point, with the proper technique because that time tells you you're doing it right. right. So once I could get that, then she would let me go to 50s with the technique. And if I couldn't do the 50 under 33, then I have to keep doing it until I move on. Mm-hmm. And once I got to get to 33 in the 50s, I was allowed to go to 100s. And if I couldn't do the 100 and under 115, I was allowed to move on to 200. So it didn't make any sense to me then, but now it sure makes sense that if you're doing technique right, your time should be you know, X. Right. And if X happens, you should be able to continue it till Y. So that's, it's, it really did help me. So now I'm averaging like a 106 in the 100, and it's pretty doable to sustain it. So. Right. That's good. Awesome. Okay. So a little dovetail um, from that, and now a little more into um, some advice. But I was just wondering. Um, for someone like myself who hasn't yes, done has, <laughs> hasn't done their first race yet, but is kind of putting all the pieces together, and I guess what would be just a couple um, general, really solid piece of pieces of advice, not necessarily just through like just in racing, but just in general with like overall training. So like you know a mental piece of advice for mental, you know, your fortitude and things like that. Like just some, the first things that pop into your head when you mean as far as for racing. Yeah. So just someone kind of like in my position, like, okay, it's before your first race and you're scared. I got it. I got you. I got what you're saying. So yeah, I think the biggest advice I can give you is number one, have a plan, have trained the plan, have somebody that knows what they're doing, like your coach, give you some insight as to what you should be doing. 
And then number two, make sure you've done the work and, and you've actually done it in practice before you go out there and try to do it, you know, in a race situation. Right. And, and I can't reiterate enough how important it is to race like you train and then train like you're going to race. In other words, don't go to a pool and swim in a pool and then go to Lake Erie in your first race without having done it and say, oh, wow, this is so different. Why didn't I do this? Right. And you got to look at the conditions you're racing in and try to replicate them in your practice time. So I'll be honest, I never go to a pool until summer hits. I mean, I'm in the pool until usually the first week of May, and then I make myself swim outdoors, you know, two, three, four times a week. Okay. And I'm never back in the pool again unless I specifically have to do technique work where I need to see what I'm doing. Okay. So, um, again, you know, be prepared, do the work, know what you're supposed to do, um, have no expectations of a time, but also at the same time train by doing exactly the same thing you're going to be doing in the race. So that way it's not so scary and different and complicated and, um, that way you can get through your first experience without worrying about your time and like your outcome of where did I place and mm-hmm. first race should always just be the experience of racing and enjoying it. Right. Okay. And then stepping back even a little bit further, I'm kind of through this point now, but it's um, for the people who are looking to get into the sport. So they're buying um, all of the lovely pieces of equipment that go along with this sport. Um, So cost wise, now I know, I think I'm pretty much over the hump of purchases and things like that. But have you found for the most part, it's that when you first get into it, it's a, like a big purchase. Well, you kind of, your situation though, you kind of worked your way into it. So you might not, you know, think about it. Like I'm kind of looking at it where I just kind of bought everything at once. But, um, is it kind of like a, you know, do you, is there, are you always buying something new? Do you feel like, or do you think it's like once you get the good stuff, it's just maintenance and then eventually replacing things as needed or how, what do you think about that? It's definitely a sport that it takes a little bit of finances to get into unless you're willing to sacrifice some of the time constraints of like having a really nice aerodynamic carbon fiber bike or a really high-end wetsuit. You know, you don't have to have a wetsuit to swim. It makes you more comfortable and a little faster. You don't have to have a carbon fiber bike, but it does the same thing. It makes you way faster and, you know, more aggressive than cycling. But... That said, you could go to a garage sale, and I have seen a kid who came over from Russia named Georgi Popov in 1999, I think he came over, 2000, 2001, sometime around there, I met him at Bally's, and he, no, I guess it was 2003 now, but anyway, so he went to a garage sale and bought a Schwinn from 1977, um, he, he never swam in a wetsuit, because he was on the um, Russian Olympic team for swimming, so he was on a relay. So he didn't need the whole thing. But he went literally, his first triathlon was a half Ironman, and he won the triathlon overall oh on the 1979 Schwinn steel bike. Wow. So, <laughs> so, it's, so anything's possible, right? Anything's <laughs> possible. And that's my mantra is anything is possible. But he is the outlier, it's just saying. You know, he right. won at the end. But, I mean, it just really depends on how much you have to invest and where you um, need the extra help. You know, if you're not a swimmer, the wetsuit would be the thing I would tell you to get because that's definitely going to make you more comfortable and faster. Right. If you're already a great cyclist and you have a decent bike, you're, you're one leg up. But the one thing I will recommend is the best time savings you can get is in the bike. So that's where you should invest. If you're going to invest money, is get a good bike because you can get a road bike that's steel and weighs 36 pounds and you're going to be way slower and put out a lot more work and have less legs left on the run than you would if you bought a older carbon fiber or cheaper aluminum bike and it'll make you faster and have a lot left for the run right okay and i guess too for anyone listening you know i my situation is i'm going you know i'm a college kid i'm in the middle of my college career and i'm i'm paying for all this myself so it's like if i can do it and i guess i might be a little crazy because i get really into this stuff when i get into it so some most people might not be as willing to put the money into it but if i can afford it and you know make things work and you know make sacrifices like that then it's it's not as impossible as it may sound so it's like you're a great example because you already had the running shoes so that was one thing done you had a, you had a, a decent outfit. You don't need to have the speed, you know, racing outfit. You can 
where, um, and I think you even went to Walmart at one point and bought a tank top. Yeah, yep, yep, the <laughs> day before the race. Spend, yeah, you don't have to spend a ton of money, but it's where the money you do spend is most important is on the bike and on the swim as far okay. as the goggles that you can see where you're going and then on the bike, the fast bike, you know, you can, you can keep the bike that you had when I first met you and struggle through getting, you know, a mountain bike to go, you know, 10 miles an hour as opposed to spending, I think, I forget how much you spent on that older Quintana Roo you bought, mm-hmm. but, um, but that bike's way faster than, you know, a mountain bike. Right, right. And with that bike, too, I think, I, yeah, it was around 800. And, I mean, that felt like, it It seems like in the in the beginning, it's like, wow, that seems like a lot. But looking at, you know, all the other bikes out there, it's like it is, it's a deal. And it's something that I'm going to keep for, you know, a few years to keep, get me going. And then once I'm in a position to buy a newer one, I can. But it, I think it was the perfect, you know, kind of intro that, type bike. And I always like to remind you know, kids, especially college kids or people who don't have a lot of money that are on a budget, you don't have to have a great brand new bike. I, my bike I bought six years old and it is still a fantastic high end bike, but I spent a quarter of what it was worth because I bought an older bike. I mean, bike technology is not going to change a whole lot from 10 years ago till now. Right. So, you know, the, the majority of it has to do with moving parts, but Right. Um, and I guess the frame, I mean, as long as you have the frame, you could always get better wheels and stuff if you want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. it's really, you know, Lance Armstrong used to say, besides um, the drugs, right. it's really not the bike as fast as the, the athlete. So. Right, right. That makes sense. But um, anyway, so yeah, as, as a newer athlete, I'd say focus on your plan, getting just the right equipment that you can afford, and then you know, putting it together and rest. You know, there's so many people who don't take enough rest time or rest days and eat properly. Right. Okay. And that actually dovetails perfectly into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was, um, so from your experience should, because I know personally, I came into it with, um, an endurance base from the running that I've been doing, but it's pretty much just from running. Like I didn't really cross train. I mean, other than a little bit of strength training and things like that, um, should a beginner focus on performance or let's say someone comes into it and they're pretty overweight or, you know, they don't have much of an aerobic base. Like, should they worry about, um, weight loss through, you know, nutrition and exercise, or should it be more performance based since it's just, you know, a tri sport type, Deal. I mean, what is your thought? What is your take on that? Because I know for me, like right now, not that I'm, you know, severely overweight or anything like that. I just, I'm, I'm the type of person to kind of overthink and overanalyze. So I am in a little weird place with my nutrition and we've talked about this, but what is your take on that in general for people based on different situations, I guess? Well, I think that if you're new to the sport of triathlon, you should, first of all, build up your endurance because that's the hardest part is if you've never ran very far, you never biked or swam very far, that is your priority. Get your body fit enough to be able to sustain a distance event. That's right. number one. And keeping in mind that the balance has to be your four your focus of your, your the forefront of your thinking because anything overdone is not healthy so right. what I mean by that is don't just go ball to the wall training hard as you can the 10% rule goes with everything so add 10% a week go into it gradually and start to let, listen to your body build each sport so that you have confidence in each one and that's why it's important to get a coach or someone who knows what they're doing to kind of guide you through the confusion of you know what how much work what day should I do what? Because that, that's right. important. You know, right. I mean, I never have anyone do two of the same sport back to back two days in a row, unless you're doing a brick and it's just to put it together for effect. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as eating goes, and that's a that's a unique situation to everyone. And I've been on both sides of it, where I've eaten too little, I've eaten too much, I've done what I thought was the right thing, and now I'm doing a totally different thing, trying something different because of a a recent health issue, but it has to do with balance again, you know, making sure you're getting enough calories um, to sustain whatever you're doing. Um, If you're trying to lose weight, then you have to do it carefully and little by little. There's no such thing as losing a ton of weight that's going to be healthy for you too quickly. So um, again, there's tons of nutrition plans, but the, the technology now, and I think I gave you the idea of using the fit tracker, mm-hmm. um, which is the um, 
my fitness pal app on your phone right it's pretty safe to put in your calories as long as you're not dishonest with it and have that as a place to start from as, as long as you're not if you're not sure what your macronutrients are it helps you and it allows you to track your calories and your fitness depending on how far you've gone on the bike tells you how many calories you need to add versus you know versus not putting enough calories in your body Right. I guess uh, one thing, too, that I've been trying to tell myself, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you could probably agree with this, is I try to think, because, I mean, in the past, and I know a lot of athletes, especially endurance athletes, it seems like struggle with some sort of disordered type eating at some point in their life. Um, and I've just found that I, if I remind myself, you know, listen to your body, figure, know what you're craving, and then give yourself, if you're eating good foods, that's what you just need to focus on. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go drink pop and eat pizza. So I shouldn't feel bad about, you know, craving fats and eating some extra trail mix and things like that. You know what I mean? So it's just reminding myself that, you know, I am doing this extra work and, you know, some days I'm running 10 miles and then biking, you know, with the group and however far we go. And, you know, it's just reminding myself that I need to make sure I'm just, it's like putting fuel in, into a sports car or whatever, you know, however you want to look at it. So, but all right. I agree. I agree. And I I wholeheartedly believe in trying to eat the most caloric, healthy, dense foods as you can, you know, like avocados and eggs, right? um, things that are going to give you the dense nutrients that your body needs. And like you said, pop and potato chips and things that are basically empty calories that are just carb laden that are, you know, GMO processed foods are just something you should try to avoid because especially like you said, if you're trying to become a formula one car, you can't put diesel engine fuel in it. Right. You have to put in good stuff to get the the good results. Exactly. Yep. And I've definitely, I personally have found, um, it's almost like when I try or when I was, you know, before I started the triathlon stuff, when I was running and if I would try to, um, you know, be like, oh, maybe I need to just try to drop five real quick and see, you know, because I'm running enough, but maybe if I just really cut back on food, but I would find my performance got so bad just from those few days, like just, you know what I mean? Like I paid for it for like a week following and it's like, it's not, I found that it's just not worth it to try to restrict so much. It's just putting in good food and, you know, really treating myself. And it's funny because I almost feel like sometimes I look at food and, you know, all the working out that I do. And sometimes it like sounds crazy, but I still act and feel like I'm not like a real athlete. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's one of the, I think it's one of those things because like when I, I like I first lost weight, you know what I mean? And before that, cause I'm not like naturally athletic, I guess. Like I'm not one of those kids that like grew up was running at the age of two, you know what I mean? So it's like, sometimes I have to remind myself like Maddie, you are doing so much more than like a lot of normal people. So it's like reminding myself of that makes me feel better and it justifies the way that I'm eating and living, uh, I guess. It's, it's so true. And the reason, you know, and I'll, I just, I'll say this is a, a caveat to the whole conversation is when I moved back here, um, I was grossly out of shape and my goal was to try to get back into shape and a healthy lifestyle. And it was an eye opener for me being in the Midwest again, mm-hmm. um, not only just the, the biases of just how everyone looks at you. But I remember the first few times, and I still get this every time I go to Walmart or something to pick up a few, you know, odds and ends. But right. of course, it might be because I'm wearing super short shorts and I have a tattoo. Some spandex, and, um, right. And, right. Yeah, my half shirt. No, right, right. <laughs> but I get looks from people like I'm checking out, like, like where are you from or what is that? You're or who do you think you are kind of thing right. almost. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. crazy because I look at in their carts and the stuff that these people are buying mm-hmm. and like, you know, like, it's just astounding to me. And then you look at the outcome of the kind of body type you get from what you're buying and putting into it. It's clear as day what happens to the internal organs of your body. Definitely. You can see it outright. And so one of the things that I started learning later now in life is that the better foods you eat, like vegetables and good meats and good fats and trying to cut out the the sugars and the, the foods that are processed, especially processed, you know, uh, flowers and sugars mm-hmm. the inflammation internally in your body is stimulated by sugar and processed foods so your body is basically having an allergic reaction in every organ your lungs your heart your lining of your um, intestines right and whenever that swells up you're just adding more fluid weight because 
with, with that's what swelling is, the fluid being carried into the cells and swelling. Right. So the more internal inflammation, the harder your heart has to work, the more you have to carry, and the harder it is to perform. Right. And so the thing that I started learning on this new diet that I'm on is it's amazing how once the inflammation starts to go away, you can breathe better, you can run faster, you're lighter, you feel like you can think better. It's just crazy how all of it ties to what you put in your body. Right. I think that's something that, you know, I've found because when I first went through losing weight and stuff like that, it was kind of like, okay, I made myself eat good foods because I knew that was what I needed to do to get to where I wanted to. But at the same time, I still craved those an un, uh, oh, excuse me those unhealthy bad foods and it's like looking at it now I don't want those bad foods like I even I mean it's and I'm not just saying that as like oh I don't want those bad foods but like truly when people are like oh don't you want like some fast food or something and honestly like I feel like I would get sick from it like I really just don't want it so I tested myself now that I've been on this ketogenic thing like I don't even crave stuff once in a while, I'll see someone eating like a Reese's cup or a pizza, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember, ah, that would be so delicious right now. Then, then if I do slip and try it, like one day I was with my sister and we stopped at Burger King, she's like, I just want to get a burger. And so I ate two fries and I had a cheeseburger from um, Burger King, which I took the bun off because I don't eat carbs anymore, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I think 30 carbs a day. So you're still, you're still like, you know, not even what some people eat as their normal lunch. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So I ate that, and I was sick for two days. For like literally, I, my stomach was sick. I could uh, feel I had a headache. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. And like I forgot that now that I've kind of cleansed cleansed my entire internal system, I just dumped in some you know rubbing alcohol, and it was like, oh, right, but, yeah. But it's amazing. You do get sick from it, and it's crazy. Like the feeling of how bad it feels in your body. Right. Like, yeah, that's anyway, crazy. Yeah, so it, 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 there, is a, there is a definite cause and effect to what you put in your hole and what comes out of your results. Right, right, pretty much, yeah. Okay, all right, well, before we finish up here, I just want to go into a little final kick round with you with just a few questions, like just, mm-hmm. you know, um, let's see. So, first, can we get your best and worst memory within the sport? So you don't have to go into super detail, but what was – Probably, like, it could be with the race or during training or whatever, but your best and worst time that you've had within the sport of triathlon. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to begin. I've had so <laughs> many. Because I'm a, I'm a creature of learning through trial and error. Right. Like, everything I do in life. So I've had some really bad results and some really bad things I've, I've gone through and learned. Um, for as far as triathlon, I think um the worst thing that probably i the biggest mistake i ever probably made was one of my first half ironmans ever i had my whole nutrition plan planned for the race and so what i did was on the bike i thought okay i need to take in 1200 calories or 1500 calories for this race i'm going to put it all in one bottle so i don't have to carry you know 20 pounds of fluids with me right and within the first three miles of the bike i hit a bridge um Joyce and knocked the bottle out and I was like, oh, screw it, I'll make it through. Oh my god! So I hadn't even taken a sip out of my nutrition bottle yet thinking, oh, okay, I can somehow get through 56 miles as hard as I'm going to go right. with no nutrition. And I should have at that point stopped and just picked up my bottle but I was just, you know, in the moment, guy right. race mode, like oh, I'm going to kill it! Right, right. By the time I got to 35 miles I was looking on the side of the road for like empty gel packs. And, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was like screaming at people going by me, do you have any food? Like I actually thought about stopping at Dairy Mart and getting a Hostess Twinkie or something. Oh my gosh. But yeah, by the mile by mile forty five, both my closet cramped up completely. I couldn't even lift the pedals anymore. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that was probably one of the worst memories of coming off the bike and still thinking I have thirteen miles to go and I can't even walk. And right. literally within the first mile I had to sit down on the side of the road and stretch like probably six times and then I couldn't get up and an old lady had to help me up off the side of the road. Oh my gosh. So, so did you did you finish? Race. Did you finish that race? I did. Seven oh. hours and twenty two minutes. Well, there you go. Well, hey, you know what? Second half Ironman, and it, ten, it was actually one hundred and two degrees that day, and oh half the pro field dropped out. So I didn't feel too bad. I still finished. But right. Well, hey. Okay. There was there was a point in time during that race on the run, and I'm not exaggerating. When I sat down to stretch at probably mile eight or nine on the run, somebody had dropped an old banana in the ditch, and I ate it out of the ditch. That's how bad shape I was at. Nice. So my best experience probably was 
Um, gosh, I, I mean, I, every race I love and, and I look forward to. Actually, I had a, I, I think Sunday, this last Sunday, you know, two days ago, was probably my best experience in a long time because awesome. of having overcome all the health issues. I've, and I haven't really said this, but I found out I have a thyroid disorder. And little did I know for the last 20 years I've had extreme hypothyroidism, and I just found out two months ago. So I've finally been dealing with a natural supplement that's helping me rebalance my my um, hormones and my body's starting to come back around. But that and the fact that I had an abulsion fracture of my butt and haven't been able to run any year. Sunday's race, I had my fastest sprint time ever. That's in my awesome. Entire life. And I, I finished in the top five and qualified for age group nationals next year. And I surprised myself because I felt – felt really, really good. Right. That's awesome. Well, congrats. Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. Okay. And what is your favorite piece of gear? This could be anything. Like, what's something that you, if you had to pick one thing to keep with you forever, like if everything else had to go, if you were on a desert island, no, I don't know. But what's your your favorite piece of gear um, for triathlon? Um, well, the bike, I mean, you can't do without. So I love my bike, but I mean, that's... It's a given. It's either here nor there, because you right. need to have a bike. But right. I love my, my Quintana Roo. I, I have the CDO one. I love that bike. But honestly, I think I like my wetsuit the most of any piece of equipment, which is the Aquaman Bionic okay. full sleeve. Um, even though um, the owner of the company, Emmanuel, is a fantastic man, and the company's just a fantastic company with the way they return and build things and are just here for the athletes. I, I, I honestly love this suit. I've been racing in it for five years now. And every year when I do get an, another one, or if I have to get a new one, I pray they haven't changed anything. And when right. I put it on, it just fits like a glove and it just feels so fast when I swim in it. Awesome. So All right. That's, that's the one gear. Cool. So can, you already, can, speak, hey, can I say one other thing about, gear yeah i don't i don't use any technology as far as like you know wattage output and uh, heart rate monitors or anything like that i go strictly by feel and okay many you know many coaches don't believe in that but having worked with so many olympians and most of them kind of convinced me that it actually limits you to just look at numbers and things instead of just listening to your body and feeling things right i actually um heard of there's a marathon training plan that i was uh, I think it was reading about and basically the whole plan instead of focusing on paces they focused on your like RPE so how it felt like you know they say like this should feel like an eight this day for however many miles or whatever and I don't know that was kind of random but that made me think of that but it makes sense because for me you know I'm going to be going to Florida and how much it's going to be so much hotter hitting the paces that feel easy now is probably going to be a struggle so it's like having to mentally prepare myself you know what I mean that's exactly why you do it. And there's other things that influence you, like for women, what time of the month it is. For men, right. um, you know, how much did you eat or drink the night before? I mean, right. So, like, I haven't even used a bike computer this year yet. I mean, I don't even – I have it on my bike just because it came with it. But right. I don't – I haven't changed the battery, so it doesn't even turn on. But well, there you like, go. What I used to find is if I look down at a race and I see 22 or 23 miles per hour, I think, oh, I'm going – too fast or not fast enough and then I'd adjust my race but right. what you should be doing is going balls to the wall like nosebleed level breathing like you're going to puke the entire time right and you know it's yeah. funny it's funny you say that too because this past weekend when I PR'd in that half marathon I was actually afraid to look at my watch because I knew I was going faster than normal and I was like if I see that it's going to panic me a little bit you know what I mean yeah. So Sheila taught me that as a five foot two Olympian swimmer, she used to say, if I worried about how, you know, my heart rate was when I'm racing these six foot two girls, I would have never made it to the Olympics. Right. (laughs) She's like, I had to go harder than they were going. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. All right, cool. I wanted to bring up because I think so many people, and you got to remember the companies that are making this equipment are the ones that are benefiting from it for the most part. They're making it because they're, making cash right yeah I mean, if it helps you to stay in the game and know you know at what mile you're doing what then great but for the most part racing is racing and it's just really about you and how hard you're going and how fast your turnover is and how right right yep for sure okay cool so i know you kind of said your mantra already but um i guess let's just reiterate on that real quick and then also what is the best advice you've ever received 
Um, well, my mantra changes daily. No. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's about anything is possible, but you got to be smart with, you know, preparing for that. You right. want every, anything to be possible, but still, you know, prepare that you can make that stand alone. Um, I don't think that you should ever limit yourself by age or sex or, you know, whatever. You should just do the best you can do and prepare yourself the best you know how. Right. Um, that's, that's kind of the mantra, whether or not that makes any sense. Okay. And then from, I know you have some mentors, um, what have they ever given you any advice that really stuck like any type of phrase or anything like that, that you kind of, you know, in hard times repeat to yourself or things like that? Oh, for training, definitely. Um, Victor Plata, who was, uh, Olympian in two Olympics um, with triathlon. He was in Sydney as an alternate, and then he was on the team for Athens on the United States triathlon team. Uh, him and I coached quite a bit together in the last 10 years or seven years. But one of the things he taught me was to, the, the quote is, race like you train and train like you race. And, okay. and not to forget the reason you're doing what you're doing is to race the same exact way you're going to train. Okay. So that was one that I always go to and, and to always try to answer Sophia, the other Olympian I got to coach and do the book series with, taught me that what you have in your head is what's going to come out in your results. So if you think you suck, you're going to suck. If you think you're good, you're going to be better than you were supposed to be. So right. I always try to remind myself during a race not to talk negative and not to compare myself to other people. It's all about looking at me doing my best and trying to talk like I'm a like a ten year old, like I'm a <laughs> coaching a ten year old kid. Okay, you're right. doing it. you're doing great, and I literally say that to myself on, on in racing. Like, look, you're doing it. You're not dying. Look, right. Look how fast you're going. Right. You can do this. You got this. And it literally it helps me to coach myself by being positive in the moment and staying on that focus and not letting my mind wander to what if this and what if I'm going too hard and I can't do that and. Like, I literally think of in the moment, I'm doing the right thing, and then thinking about, you know, being positive with it. Right. I, it's funny that you say that, too. I actually read a book on sports psychology one time, and one of the bigger things that stuck out to me was how, um, like, before a competition or, let's say, before a race, they said, you know, instead of saying, I hope this doesn't happen, you want to say, like, this is going to happen, like in a positive way, like this is going to happen, I'm going to get through this. Because if you give yourself that thought of I hope this doesn't like I hope I don't, um, you know, have an anxiety attack during the swim. Well, the thought that that you planted that in your mind, and now you're thinking about it, you know what I mean? Even though you said I hope it doesn't happen, you're still thinking about it. So that's it is is putting into action a thought. And it's it's, right. You know, I'm a huge believer in whatever you put your thought process into will become you know, true. Right. And so it's really, and, and I actually tested this at a race earlier this year, two, it's two races ago, three races ago, the Olympic try that Adam and I went to, and we went to the start line and I told him, you know, remind me, I was never a competitive swimmer. I started swimming, you know, competitively literally five years ago when Sheila was my coach. Right. And so I don't have a swimming background. I was, you know, just a a chubby gymnast. <laughs> right, right. But um, anyway, so we, we got to the start line two, three weeks ago, and I said to Adam, I said, I want to win the swim today. I don't care what it takes me. I'm, I'm going to try to go out and win the swim from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And and I said it to myself, and I said, I'm going to hold myself accountable to that. And they told him, I said, I'm going to go out hard. I'm going to try to get around everybody, and I'm going to try to be out of the water first. And I remember coming around the first buoy, and the first six guys were ahead of me, and I thought, oh, I can catch them. And then within the next 50 yards, I caught all six of those guys and no one was in front of me. I thought, look, I'm doing it. That's awesome. <laughs> I actually got chills while I was swimming. Thinking, right. I just did what I told myself I was going to do. And right. I'm like, well, shit, now you got to focus on getting to the water, the edge of the water first. Yeah. Right, <laughs> so right. So I started actually going faster and faster. And by the time I got to the water, I turned around. And I had gapped everybody by a minute, and no one was behind me. Oh, my gosh. And I was shocked. I was like, I, I didn't only do what I set out to do, but it made me even faster, and that was my PR. I had the fastest swim time I ever had. It. That's awesome. That's so cool. The power of the mind is crazy. That's it is, awesome. It is, but it's, you know, it's, it's a tool I don't think the athletes use enough. Right. I agree. 
All right. Awesome. So uh, just to kind of wrap it up a little bit, where can we find you on social media or if you want to give us your email um, for uh, anyone? Yeah, well, we do, you know, we do a lot of swim and triathlon clinics. From, we do underwater video analysis, which really helps to see what you're doing as far as the technique aspect of swimming, which is the most important part. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can visit our website at www.pr try tri swim coach.com um and there's links to my email and stuff on there um if you need it it's daniel j s 111 at aol.com or you can go to my facebook page daniel j smith um or instagram is daniel j s 111 all right awesome well thank you so much for all of the insights I'm, i'm so excited to see you um get in the water and do your first race oh my gosh yeah it's all that water though that <laughs> get in the water that's the biggest thing but hey i'm getting there i'm determined you know what i already bought all this stuff so there's no turning back now right <laughs> i'm excited to see it i really really hope that it's a race that i can be at if not um you need to come home and do a race where we can all be there for sure for sure so, so i just want to say congratulations you've done a great job already with all you've done and Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations to you. And I'm really looking forward to having you on the show again soon. And good luck with the rest of your season. Thank you. You too, Madeline. So I just want to say thanks again uh, to Daniel. That was awesome. Um, super glad I could get him uh, to do an interview. I know he's a super busy guy. So, um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, if you would like please um, subscribe and maybe leave a rating um, to kind of help get this podcast up and running. Um, If you guys have any requests on types of podcasts or topics you would like covered or people that you would like um, to hear more from, uh, please, please let me know. Um, I will definitely be putting Daniel's uh, contact information in the show notes. So if you would like to get a hold of him for any coaching, swimming, biking, running, nutrition questions, feel free to do that. Um, I will also put a link to the podcast, the other podcast um, mentioned earlier in this podcast. Um, So that will all be in the show notes for you. And thank you so, so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode coming to you soon. Thanks.